Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And I'm Father Shane Demon. And we are so glad to be coming to you once again from our distance uh, recording setup that we hope is working. But we're doing it for you. Father Shane, how you doing? Excellent. Good Wonderful. to be with you again, Father. Likewise. Uh, back-to-back recording is always fun because you got to pretend like we haven't been talking. But here we are, bantering <laughs> for the sake of our beloved listeners. So thanks for coming back for another riveting episode of your favorite um Iowa Northwest Catholic Iowa, Catholic yeah, Catholic. Iowa Catholic Priest podcast. Not to from exclude, not to exclude our friends who also have podcasts from the diocese and from the church. But welcome back, uh, Father Shane. You are now um, the vice rector, and I found myself telling people that, and then also realizing that there's really no other, like, there's no other places in their life where they would hear the word rector or vice rector unless it's like a <laughs> cathedral church. Or they happen to, I don't know. Well, it's funny because doesn't the term rector kind of come from like English ecclesiastical language? You know, I actually don't know the whole etymology of that I don't know. Term, it's just weird because other- we don't use it anywhere else in the church except for seminaries and cathedrals. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to do that research for you. But I am a new vice director. I, I guess the, the parallel that might work for people is if they have any, and this might be a stretch, I realize, but if they have any understanding of what a monastery is, uh-huh. you know, like the abbot kind of runs a lot of personnel things and the prior actually runs a lot of the day-to-day operations. And that's somewhat the relationship here. You know, if the students have got issues, they've got their own formation advisor and spiritual director, but if there's things that are, are dealing with the schedule of the housing, the house itself, um, liturgical schedules, house schedules, permissions to leave seminary events because they got to skip class to go home for their sister's, you know, wedding rehearsal or whatever. Um, you're the one to tell them. You're the one to tell them. Absolutely not. You stay in the seminary, right? Because <laughs> you're one of those guys. I, I'm the dean of students. That's a good yes. way to say it. The dean of okay. students, or maybe like a vice principal, if you were to break it down to a high school level. Kind of. Yeah, that would be very similar. Who does a lot of administrative things behind the scenes, just with the kitchen staff and general, uh, just general operations of the whole house. However, insofar as Kennerkland Seminary is a house of adult men, you're not just yes. a high school vice principal because you're actually like accompanying these men and living with them, praying with them. Yeah, yeah. I told the seminarians at the beginning, I've been a high school chaplain for 11 years. If I have to deal with teenage drama like I did in a high school, we've got serious problems in the church <laughs> and we've got serious problems in my relationship with these men. You're going home packing. That's what you told them. Yeah. If you're going to act like, you know, a teenager, then you're not an adult man and we don't need you to serve the church as a cleric. So mm-hmm. bye-bye. Pack up yeah. your bags and go home. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you get a step outside of that kind of more immature experience of ministry while I just trudge on through. <laughs> yes. But yes, guess what? You are on the front lines of evangelization. That's I right. am. I am back in resource management. That's right. <laughs> I am back in, you know, way off the front lines, preparing officers in the church militant to come to the front lines. That's right. So well, your outreach for evangelization is somewhat envious for me. I'm kind of a, I'm in the Catholic bubble, you know, so to speak, Father working Shane, with guys thinking alike. You know, I would, lo- I would like to hear um, the funniest thing that happened to you in your first week of being vice rector. 
the funny to put you thing. on the spot. Yeah, I mean, you could talk about a lot of like this stuff, but like maybe I, what I found is like a new house, right? Especially around like the refectory or the cafeteria, like how to go through the line. There's just like things. The house flows a certain way, and when you just step in as a total outsider, are there any just like hijink stuff that like has kind of happened? Um, living in well, a new space. Uh, um. There, it has been kind of fun to sit back and say, why do we do things this way? Um, and, be, and having been a, a vocation director and stayed here as a guest, sure, I've already pointed out to the administration and some of the staff things that have always little pet peeves about our guest rooms that always bothered me that we could really <laughs> step up hospitality. Yeah. So we, we went around the guest rooms with checklists and I've already started kind of cleaning up that to upgrade our hospitality efforts. And they were grateful. They were just like, well, we've never stayed in these rooms. So how would we know this? Exactly. Like, so you said something. Um, it was day seven. This isn't really funny. It's kind of tragic. It was day seven, and we were having kind of the opening softball match between the philosophy and the theology students. And then some guys were doing a little kick around, kickoff little soccer game afterwards. And uh, a seminarian, very unfortunately, he hurt himself, tore his ACL, and tore his meniscus. Oh, you did mention and, that in the last in the last episode, yeah, or a couple, did I? A couple ago. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's he's scheduled for surgery now, and he's going to make a great recovery. And that was day seven, and I was in the uh, the urgent care room with him. So he's making a great recovery. Keep praying for this Kansas City Saint uh, Kansas City Seminary. Are there any dogs on campus anymore? Are are all of the dogs gone? Well, Father Mason has gone home with you know he doesn't he's he's he don't have any dogs of his. But Father Aro, who's the director of physiology, yes. he has a large dog called Filippo. So we still have one dog. Filippo. And then every once. And then every once in a while, the librarian, she brings her dog on campus. Oh, and I guess one of our psychologists does too. So there are gotcha, some Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. There were just like a number but of one dogs. Of the, one of the things that is happening here is that there is this herd of deer that is just like oh. literally entrenched themselves within the gates, within the, the fencing of, of the seminary, back down in the woods by the grotto. They're just always on campus. And some of the seminarians have really tried to like corner them and herd them up to like get them to move out. Um, and they've circled them, and, and there's been some standoffs. There's been huh. literally some, gr- some grunting standoffs, and uh, they're not trying to traumatize the deer. They're not trying to hurt the deer, but they're not going to be able to stay here forever and actually thrive, you know, and grow, um, you know, as wild animals. Uh, so we're working on that: how to get rid of the deer without just having to tranquilize them all. Well, uh, I have one cer- question. Certainly, the seminarians want to do hunting, but in Shrewsbury, yes. that's going to be a little difficult. before before we just jump into the topic i have one question for you father shane would you rather have a herd of deer or two coyotes on campus because when i was there there was a certain day where two coyotes just showed up on campus and and again it's a large campus i don't know how many acres it exactly is but like it's all fenced in so there's like some wooded area within the campus so they're just kind of hanging out um we actually drove back from chicago with father hazing from the mundelein basketball tournament and as we drove in there's just two coyotes in the front yard just like hanging out in the evening um (laughs) father mason uh was about to grant permission to some guy to just like hunt them like to just like bow hunt them off of like you know in the front but uh, apparently um it's yeah it's against shrewsbury town ordinance to you know have like firearms that's why okay bow and arrow and then even then is like projectile weapons can't be used so i forgot how they actually got the but you could do the old bring in the coyotes take care of the deer move that's an option well we could i would rather have the deer that's good well i just yeah you gotta i mean like beggars can't be choosers so um you know new beginnings uh 
recently I had the first Tuesday of the school year, the, just the freshmen come, um, and I was I was out of town for my own spiritual direction, so I was able to come back for the first uh, mass with just the freshmen of the cathedral. And in my homily, what I wanted to point out to them, what I invited them to do is just the freshmen in the church to pay attention to the beauty of the cathedral church, right? So our cathedral, if anybody's been there, Cathedral of the Epiphany, it's small but mighty. It's a nice Gothic revival church um, that's been that was renovated in the late 90s, um, or restored rather, and it's beautiful, incredible windows. Um, yeah, beautiful, beautiful vaulted ceilings, beautiful sanctuary, beautiful appointments. However, so many students, I knew this from, from my first assignment, I've heard it from healing students. They, they walk into the cathedral and they just immediately think of it as this cold, boring, dry place. That's just completely disconnected from their life. Right. And you obviously celebrate a mass there for many years as the chaplain. So what I was trying to do was propose to them, like, listen, there's going to be a bunch of upperclassmen who come in here next week and they're going to just be bored, you know, slumped down in a pew and come in week after week. But I said, I just really want you to understand and experience that this place is one of the most beautiful churches in the Siouxland area, let alone in Iowa, let alone in the Midwest. I mean, these beautiful cathedrals, these churches that are around. But the more and more I've been thinking about that after that homily, I've just realized that when church buildings, when church architecture, church teaching, the Bible itself, these kind of stories from our tradition, um, and the liturgy in particular, when those things are seen as like a museum piece, something from the past, something that's been antiquated and is just something to be hung up and looked at, kind of like a a Van Gogh painting in a a museum, Um, it's nice. It's nice to go look at on a Sunday afternoon. Um, It's also nice to just pass by because it doesn't really have anything to do with my life just realize more and more that young people especially, they don't see themselves or have an active participation in the history of the church. The history of the church is seen as something that's a museum piece rather than a living history that we're a part of. I just really think that for a lot of our listeners who find themselves in that same place, thinking of the church as outdated in its teachings and its liturgy and its architecture and its style, right? kind of behind the times. Father, why can't we just get up with the times and do things like um, the evangelical Protestant church on the street? Why can't we have big screens in the sanctuary? Why can't we have just like, you know, all the live stream masses that come about? Why don't we have higher quality stuff? If we have a better understanding of how the history of salvation, the history of the church, the history of Christianity is not just something in the past, but it's actually happening right now. And we're members of that. We're active participants in that history through the liturgy, through the architecture, through the art, the music, the beauty that surrounds us. We can actually be less outcast and we can allow those things to not just be museum pieces, but actually points of connection that can reconnect us to the history and that can actually like propel us forward. Um, I know that's like a little thesis statement, but that's just been on my heart a lot as we Father Shane, you and I continue to talk about sticking with our main theme of this podcast of a particularly Midwest podcast that is kind of reaching out to those who are feeling outcast from the church, outcast within their communities, perhaps outcast from the larger experience of the church in a small town, in a small community, in a small city. Um, However, we are surrounded by beautiful architecture. We are surrounded sometimes by the musical tradition of our church. We are surrounded by beautiful art. We are surrounded by the liturgy every Sunday. Um, And these things can actually be beautiful points of connection, beautiful points of communion with our living history. 
Well said, Father. Thank well you. Said. And with that, I think that's all I've got to say. So, <laughs> all right, hit the hit Great. the uh, I'll hit the, the old exit music the accent here. music. Yeah, I think Father, there's a lot of people who don't know how to step into that history. Sure, you know what I'm saying. Like, I think there would be a lot of unchurched people who would step into the cathedral in Sioux City and say, "This is an impressive building." There's obviously a lot of rich symbolism around here. There's a lot of history. And there must be some church-going people who understand how to interpret all this, and I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I sit down here, and, and I don't know all the dudes painted in the stained glass windows. Right. I don't know. I, like, I think that's probably Jesus up there on the cross and the center crucifix. Um, but I, I don't understand the color. I don't understand the sanctuary arrangement and the appointments in the sanctuary. Right. I don't understand my gestures and what am I supposed to do. So they might walk in kind of maybe eager and hungry. Maybe they walk in completely neutral, but I think they would all agree if they're not really churched or or not really part of the tradition and haven't been raised in this. I don't know how to step into this so that it's a lived experience rather than the antiquated museum that you talk about. Right. No, you're exactly right. And that's why I think the folks who are the nuns, as Bishop Barron often says, who are completely disconnected, right. Who have no upbringing in the church. The only way that those folks can be evangelized, especially in like a postmodern culture that we live in, post-Christian culture, is to be invited by somebody who's actually living it, right? So I think most of our listeners, from our experience, I mean, the people who, who talk with us, who, who reach out and, and share emails or different friends that we have, they're the folks who are trying to live it. But I think especially the folks who are trying to live it find it difficult to be connected in this way too. And if, if the folks who are actually going to Mass don't have that connection or understanding or these, you know, these different um, points of connection to communion with the church, then it's, it's almost impossible to invite somebody or, or why would we even think about inviting somebody into it if it doesn't make sense to us? One like funny little practical thing that I'm reminded of many, many, many older churches up into a certain kind of year will often have kind of three unique symbols going on in the sanctuary and the artwork It'll have the Alpha and the Omega, um, the Cairo, and it'll have the four characters that come from Revelation and represent the evangelists. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about those, I've, I've just randomly pointed them out to different parishioners, and they're like, they've literally been looking at it for the past like 50 years of their life, you know, in their awake and aware life. And they have no idea what they mean. They have absolutely right. no idea that this, this first and last letter of the Greek alphabet correspond to that scripture verse where Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And that the Cairo is the first two letters in Greek for Christ. And that this lion, man, ox, and eagle correspond to the evangelist, right? Right. So how do we do that? How do we catechize folks? I mean, we point those things out. Um, but I think if, if people who are churchgoers, if people who are committed Catholics, if people who are seeking out a life of grace in the sacraments lean into, dive deeper into our living history, and understand more fully the liturgy, understand more fully the architecture, the music, what has been passed down, what we're still living, I think that can actually be something to invite people into rather than something that seems to push people away, like you were just saying. Right. Well, and after they've leaned into it and they've studied it a little bit more and maybe appropriated that, and that would even be a call to the clergy who might be listening to mm-hmm. this, You know, have they ever taken some time to actually preach on how to read the stained glass windows in their own facilities? Had they pointed out, uh, you know, some of the little symbols that you point out, 
and and described earlier if if we're not educating our parishioners on how to read our own living history of the architecture that speaks on its own accord right in front of us every sunday then obviously our parishioners are not going to know how to share that with others but if you are someone who actually does know how to read those things and can point out a few symbols you know do not feel hesitant do not feel afraid to actually point that out you know are do you have some guests some wedding guests or some funeral attendees who actually might feel a little uncomfortable and not know how to interpret the room now, obviously like if if you're sitting in the front pew and it's your immediate family member who's the deceased at a funeral this is not going to be the time and place for you to evangelize right. you know with a little architectural tour but if you're if you're at a wedding or you're just sitting a lot or near some people at a funeral or something and they're obviously kind of uh, wondering what's going on, to take the time to greet them, to explain kind of what do these gestures mean? You know, you're sitting, you're standing, you're, you're kneeling. Do they understand the windows that they're looking at? And just to offer, you know, I, I've noticed that you're kind of looking around our church here, and is it a, isn't it a lovely facility? Do you mind if I point a few things out for you and, and just make you feel more comfortable here? Mm-hmm. Those are the little necessary steps for evangelization that are desperately needed to let people understand our story and to let the narrative speak for itself through the sacred art and architecture that surrounds us in so many of these lovely facilities. Yeah, I didn't even plan on going here with this, but what I think happens so often I've experienced in the parish is that people are like, Father, yeah, I'd love to do that, but I have no idea what I would say. I don't have the education that you have. I don't know what to do. People also are kind of just waiting around for the priest to be the one to start up small groups, to start up some kind of um, teaching series. There are so many um, resources out there right now with Ascension Press, um, with with the Augustine Institute. Well, that's kind of within the same thing. But all these different, I'm not excluding anybody, they just don't come to mind, but all of these different like Catholic publishing houses and like online media, all the stuff Word on Fire is doing right now, All of there, there are so many opportunities to learn so as to be formed well and to live the history, to live the liturgy and the teachings and the scriptures, so as to then share it. But I think a lot of people are just waiting around for someone else to invite them to that. But I know a number of parishioners who are out there who listen to this podcast. If you have that desire to receive more formation, right? So many people say, Father, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. We talked in the past about not being fed, but Father, I just want more. We're so hungry. Okay, wonderful. Reach out to your pastor. And instead of just kind of like accusing of when are you going to do more things for us, say, listen, like I would love to lead a group that would dive deeper into these topics so that they don't just seem like something that's so far removed from my experience, but that I can actually live in. Because the people who have done that and who are doing that, they're the ones who are most eager to evangelize because they've understand, they've understood, wait, there's so much more available here. Folks who Mm -hmm. go through RCIA experience that. And a lot of people who might accompany a group of RCIA candidates, they'll say, why didn't, why didn't I get this? You know, why wasn't I offered this formation in the faith? Um, so don't be afraid to reach out. There's so many opportunities out there um, to be formed in the faith so as to actively participate in the living history of our, of our church, of our tradition, intellectual tradition, artistic tradition, um, so as to live it well ourselves, but to invite other people into it. Yeah, if you're someone who is hungry for more and you don't know where to start, and you might think like, well, reading the whole Bible is going to be a little intimidating for me, and I've never sat down to kind of memorize the whole catechism. Well, you could just start very simply by looking around the, the architecture of your own church and say, do I know what these stained glass windows mean? Hmm. I'm staring at an altar every day. Why is the altar shaped that way? Why is the pulpit, which is actually called an ambo, 
why is it shaped that way and what is the par- purpose of the ambo and how is the gospel proclaimed from there mm-hmm. do you actually know what a tabernacle is and if you were to walk into another christian church a protestant church that does not have our tradition of the eucharist do you understand the difference of where a tabernacle would be or perhaps is lacking in another christian facility mm-hmm. If you stare at these architectural and furniture appointments every single Sunday, do you know how to describe them and do you know their history? Uh, That would be a great place just to kind of uh, start feeding your own curiosity to say, I want to at least understand the liturgy and the architecture that I'm sitting in every single weekend as a starting point for how I might be able to invite others to share this same journey that I'm enjoying. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Holy Trinity Orthodox Church here in Sioux City has one of the best ethnic festivals, probably because it's like the only lasting ethnic ethnic festival in the area, but they have a Greek fest every summer. And I mm-hmm. I love it. It's wonderful. Uh, the food is fantastic. There are booths built onto the outside of the church that are only used once a year for Greek fest, and it's a three-day Greek extravaganza. It's wonderful. However, what I love is that they open up the doors of this church, and it was the first time I ever went was because of Greek fest. It's next to the cathedral in St. Boniface, St. Joseph. It's probably my favorite church in Sioux City. Um, the icon screen is wonderful. These beautiful icons. And they just got new icons, big icons on the ceiling. It's beautiful. But they leave the church open and they actually have tours. And then this year, they actually put um, like QR codes on big like um, like printout kind of uh, corrugated plastic things that would actually direct you to understand who these saints are that all of the icons are representing, oh, nice. which is great. Not everybody needs to throw, yeah. Not everybody needs to throw a, a Greek fest at their parish. However, the beautiful architecture, the beautiful art, the music, the liturgy that we still have—that's a living tradition. It can be. It ought to be. It needs to be evangelical for our people. So, whatever way that we can understand more of our own history, understand that we're living it, so that we can actually promote it for other people. That that would help so much. Um, for all those living in our diocese who have beautiful churches, all those throughout the country who live in these beautiful churches, like you said, Father Shane, let's dig in a little deeper so that we can understand what we have so that we can present it to the world, you know? Good insights. Thanks, Father. Thanks, Always Well, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Um, keep looking at beautiful churches and live in our history. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.